Hello there. Welcome back to the podcast. This is John from pureandsimplebible.com, and I'm thankful for another opportunity to have a great discussion about the Bible. Isn't it great just to have an opportunity to listen to and engage in this discussion? Did you know that you could engage in it as well? You can email me at pureandsimplebible at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your questions and maybe work it into the podcast sometime. Today I have Bob Loudermilk joining me, and we're going to talk about the law of the harvest from Galatians chapters 5 and 6. It's a really healthy discussion, going to be one you're probably going to want to jot some notes down on. So let's jump straight into it, shall we? So I'm here with Brother Bob Loudermilk, and I'm very grateful for you joining me today. We're on Zencaster, so you're up in your home in Edmond, and I'm in mine down in Dallas, Texas. And I'm thankful for your willingness to come on the show and talk to me. So thank you, brother. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, Galatians 1, verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there is some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And as we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you've received, let him be accursed. Those are some pretty strong words. Absolutely. And it's interesting that he repeated it not once, but twice. Mm. And he goes on to show these brethren that they're sons of God, not through the Old Testament law, but Galatians 3.26, through faith in Christ. Right. And, and then in chapter 5 and 1, it's then that he says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, when when you talk about that verse specifically, it's for freedom, being free in Christ. What does that context mean? I mean, is this going to be a, a verse that offers me the ability to do whatever I want? Well, that's a very good question, and that is the way it's taught a lot of times today. Mm. We're free in Christ, but in the context, if you stay with that, we're not living under the Old Testament law. Oh, okay. Okay. And so we're free from Old Testament law. And, you know, forgive me if maybe I'm continuing down a certain path, but but some people maybe in our culture uh, have taken it too far the opposite direction, right? That are, are pursuing freedom, meaning freedom from any type of law of God's law, right? Right. In fact, a lot of people would call that cheap grace. And, <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <laughs> and to combat that cheap grace concept, you notice chapter 513, he says, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge. Uh-huh. Okay. So we got this theology, Jonathan, these two extremes that are causing many, many problems for these churches in Galatia. Listen to how he continues. I think it's interesting in chapter 5, verse 15. Okay. He said, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Mm. And then in uh, the same chapter, verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Okay. So, um, you know, after mentioning these extremes, and obviously there's problems that both extreme would cause, you know, one being seeking uh, Christ through old law, and then also seeking Christ through total freedom from any law. does Paul offer a solution? You know, are we doomed to kind of go between these extremes forever? He, he does offer a solution. In fact, 
in chapter 5, verse 16, he says the solution is live by the Spirit. And Live by the Spirit, by okay. The Spirit, right. And uh, I think it's interesting how he proceeds to chapter 6 and shows how it's all flushed out. Uh, okay, so then chapter 6 is how we're going to live by the Spirit. That's right. That's right. Okay, so what do we see here? In chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Now, legalism doesn't have the mentality of restoring gently. I, I saw that in your notes. I put a highlight on it. I got to stop and chew on it with you for a moment. I love it. Legalism doesn't have the mentality of restoring gently. What mentality would legalism have? Well, let me illustrate it like this. I had a, a relative true story that fell off a loading dock, like a six-foot loading dock, and uh-huh. shattered his arm. Oh, my. Uh he went to the doctor. He had to go through a lot of therapy. And the first time after they, they took the cast off and they had to start stretching the arm, he was so worried about it because any little movement hurt. And uh, the nurse, he said he was so thankful for her because she came in to start the physical therapy. And she said, now we're going to take just as long as we need Mm. to do this. Okay. And, and so that's, working with grace. That's the opposite of this mentality of legalism. Legalism would say, let's yank that thing out. Let's get this thing done. So <laughs> right. Paul is telling us we have to get a perspective of ourselves and that can mm-hmm. solve a lot of problems, wouldn't it, Jonathan? It would. It would. Then he goes on to say, rather than comparing ourselves with others, concentrate on our responsibility. Watch yourself first so that you're not tempted. But then when you do see someone caught in a sin, restore him gently. Do it within a gentle spirit and a gentle attitude, realizing that I can be caught in sin as well. And that's why uh, you mentioned Galatians 6, 7 next, right? So uh, if I'm looking inward instead of outward, I'm, I'm not going to be deceived. That's the, the verse. It says, Don't, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So if I'm focusing inward, then I'm not going to be deceived. But, re- but if I'm too busy looking at others and seeing how awful they are and comparing myself to them, potentially I, I could be deceived. That's that's correct. And also, I think he's dealing not only with that, but also with the whole idea that God cannot be mocked. Ah, okay. Uh, that we are going to reap what we sow. I think here he's, he's getting down to the nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. It's like a black and white issue, no gray areas. Right, okay. And it also tells me that it's possible to be deceived. Well, I you know, I think about... Jesus' words in Matthew 7, um, you know, he says, you've got a plank in your eye and your brother has a speck in his and how easy it is to see the speck in somebody else's eye and how easy it is to not see the plank in your own. So uh, it seems like it's kind of lining up between the master, the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciple, Paul, teaching us kind of same concepts about how easy it is for us to not be introspective, right? That's right. And uh, and that can happen for a lot of different reasons. One is what you just said, that we've got a plank in our eyes, so we can't see clearly. But sometimes ignorance. Uh, let me give you an example. Okay. When you want to believe something so bad, like, for example, in dating, mm. sometimes a person is dating someone and there are red flags going off about <laughs> the person's character. and uh, But we're so desperate that we ignore the evidence, right. you know, I'm going to change them after I marry them. Oh right? yes. Yes. <laughs> but those, those red flags, Jonathan are there for a reason. Right. And, uh, 
Sometimes we want to do something so bad that no matter what anyone tells us, or even what the Bible says, we, we say, well, I'm going for it. So I think in our ignorance, sometimes we deceive ourselves. Well, there, there's another phrase that you highlight in Galatians 6, 7, right? So I'll, I'll read it again, just in case. Uh, Galatians 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So when you're talking about God not being mocked, uh, can you maybe flesh out that admonition for us? Absolutely. You know, that one confused me as I was studying this passage, but the whole idea of God not being mocked means God cannot be sneered at. Uh, mocked is the idea of turning up the nose of someone to show okay. them contempt. And basically, Paul's saying you can't outwit God. You can't fool God. He's got his laws laid down. They will not change. Uh, mm -hmm. His word is true. And so if you think you can fool God by living in a way that's different from what his word teaches, he said there's no way that God doesn't work that way. That's right. Well, in in your study, uh, that leads us to this um, section where we're going to talk about a bunch of different laws, specifically laws of the harvest, which is the title um, of this. And so if, if we're looking at, um, if I can maybe review some of the things before we jump into it, uh, we were looking at two extremes that, that people often fall into, those uh, who are seeking freedom through a legalistic means, um, going beyond Christ back to either old law or binding laws that just aren't in the New Testament, um, but then also those that would be cheapening the freedom. And, and so we just finished up talking about how that uh, Paul encourages us to live by the Spirit. That's how we're going to overcome these extremes. And we're fleshing out in Galatians chapter 6 how to live by the Spirit. And there are a bunch of these laws of the harvest. So with that in mind, what laws can you tell us about in this passage? You may be able to find more of them, but in my studies, I came up with at least six. And I thought we could cover that okay. today in this uh, in this podcast. But Sure. The first one that's really interesting, I call it the law of sameness. And that's mm. found and identified in verse seven. Okay. A man reaps what he sows. Ah. It's pretty simple. You know, whatever you plant in the ground is what's going to grow. You don't plant corn and get green beans. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you get corn. And Paul says that same thing is true spiritually. Whatever you're going to plant is going to come out. Now, how does that apply today? Well, think of, for example, young people. Okay. The decisions they make today, the friends they have, where they go, the choices they're making is going to affect their tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So whatever you plant, you're going to sow. Right. So the, the, the connection that you're making is sowing and reaping that it's talking about in this passage is uh, directly connected to actions and consequences. Is that right? Exactly. Absolutely. And uh, Paul would expound on that in verse 8 of Galatians 6. He says, The one that sows to please his flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So I look at it that verse 8 is dealing with the fields mm. in which we might sow. Mm -hmm. And all I see in this passage that I can identify are two fields, two areas. We're either sowing to the flesh or we're sowing to the spirit. Let me interject here about that point specifically, two fields, flesh or spirit. But what about people, you know, they're not so bad. Uh, you know, is there a third option? You know, one where the there's, they're not really 
awful, but even but they're not godly. But you know, they're 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 kind of a good person. So where, where do they fit in? Well, in this particular passage, Paul doesn't give us a third option. You know, he says you're so into the flesh, or you're so into the spirit. So a person, right. even if they don't believe in God, they're definitely not sowing to the spirit because that's mm-hmm. of God. So, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like the other passages, you know, it tells us we're either in the kingdom of darkness or in the kingdom of light. Right. So a person that's not in Christ is not in the kingdom of light. And uh, it's the same idea here of flesh or spirit, which way are we living? I think the New Testament echoes that concept throughout the the duality, or not duality, the, the nature of being either in or out. I was just reading with uh, my children today in Matthew 25, and Jesus only had two sides of his throne whenever he came back to judge in Matthew 25. It's those on his right and those on his left. You know, There's nobody in the center aisle. You're either in or you're out. I'm looking at your second law, the law of time. What do you mean by that? Well, if you're not actively sowing to the spirit, then what are you doing? You're sowing to the flesh Mm. and you're going to harvest what you sow, right? Right. But here's the, here's the kicker. You don't always reap immediately what you sow. Okay. What do you mean? Plant a watermelon seed, for example. You don't expect to go out the next day and get a watermelon. Okay. Okay. It takes time. Right. Now I will say, Jonathan, there's one exception to that. When my daughter Madison was about two years old. The neighbor had her over and this really happened. True story. And they planted a watermelon seed. He thought it'd be fun to kind of show her how it works. So they planted one in his yard. And the next morning she woke up and he had her come over there and out in the yard was a full grown watermelon Hmm. where they'd planted the seed. Never seen it happen, but of course, he took the watermelon out of the refrigerator <laughs> to have some fun. <laughs> so that's the only exception I've ever seen. So it takes time, whether you're sowing to the spirit right. or sowing to the flesh. Mm-hmm. And here's the kicker. When you give into your flesh, it'll destroy us. Mm-hmm. Now, it might take a while, but eventually sowing to the flesh will destroy us. And I think Galatians 6 and 8 is such a sobering passage. I, I like the way the old King James puts it. It says, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Mm. That word, when I studied it, is the idea, and it's a tough word, but it's the idea of a putrid corpse in the process of decomposition. Oh, my. Now, that's a horrible picture, but what an appropriate picture for the results of sowing to the flesh. That that makes me think of Ephesians 5. Um, If you don't mind, I'd like to maybe jump over there and add it. Sure. Um, Ephesians 5, verse 5 and 6 says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Um, I, I love Ephesians 5. Uh, four, five, and six for many reasons, but one of them is this comparison of um, that which is right for a Christian to engage in and that which is wrong. And in this section specifically, you know, up in verse two, he's talking about how we're supposed to be walking in love, and that walk would be a lifestyle, a lifestyle of love and of giving oneself to God. And then there's the comparison of those who are living for self. And so that verse five, six comparison is a uh, those who are living in such a way that they're going to 
end up as a putrid corpse, spiritually speaking. So if I'm a Christian, I shouldn't want to live that That's way, right? right. And, uh, and I love that comparison that you just brought out because that goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's flesh or spirit, no middle ground. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. And the point he makes there in Ephesians 5, we either put it to death or it will destroy us. Uh, you know, the Bible never tells us that we can reform the flesh. Uh, the flesh. Right. It never tells us that we can uh, modify it. It says the only thing that can be done is to put the flesh to death. I heard a motivational speaker years ago said, every morning when you get up, you ought to say to yourself over and over out loud, I like myself, I like myself, I like myself, I like And after I read Ephesians 5, 5, and 6, and Galatians 6, I think, how ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) We can can tell tell ourselves how much we like ourselves over and over and over again. But the bottom line is the flesh must be put to death. You cannot reform it. Yeah. The only thing you can do is put it to death. This may not be in the notes, so there's your fair warning. But when I think about the law of time, I think that actions have consequences, and sometimes time means that consequence is going to take longer than we anticipated it before it maybe rears its head. The point is uh, somebody might obey the gospel and be zealous and on fire for Christ, but then some of the things that they have sown whenever they were sowing to the flesh catch up with them and they get very confused you know about why why is this uh coming back to get me or why am i still struggling with this temptation etc and so uh, that point that you made at the beginning about how you don't always reap immediately what we sow it takes time if you're cultivating um sowing to the spirit then it's going to take time for that. And in, in the time that you're cultivating it, there are still going to be weeds and other things growing up that were sown to the flesh that you've got to take care of. Uh, maybe you want to comment on that, just if if uh, it does sound reasonable. Oh, absolutely. I, I think you made a very good point. And, and this is where people sometimes lose, lose faith and they lose hope because they obey the gospel, they become a Christian, but they've sown some things in their past and they think, well, why aren't I being blessed? Why, why do I have to remain in jail? Yeah, you know, or, that's a good one. Or why was I arrested? You know, I became a Christian, but they're t- they're having to take responsibility for things of the past. Someone says that too often we want to sow our wild oats and then pray for a crop failure, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's that's not the way it works. Right. Uh, Many times we, like you just said, we have to face the consequences of things that we've sown in the past. We can be forgiven. And and you look at Saul, uh, which we'll be talking about in another episode, but Saul of Tarsus, you know, he sowed a lot of bad things. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Lord told him, I'm going to show him how much he's going to have to suffer Mm. for my sake. You know, so he had to, uh, he had to take responsibility for those things. Yeah. I think about the phrase... Um, I think it was in First Peter, where Peter says, uh, love covers a multitude of sins. When Peter says love covers a multitude of sins, yeah, you know, the focus is on the love and the covering. Sometimes I meditate on the multitude of sins. And it's when I was a kid, something I loved to do is throw rocks into the pond. 
I don't know why. That's maybe it's a, a, a little boy thing. Anytime there's rocks and water, you want to throw them in. But when the pond is perfectly still, all it takes is one rock and you can upset the whole, you know, little pond, the, the just the, the ripple effect that comes out from that one action. And so the, the multitude of sins, I think, is not only a singular action, but also all the negative consequences that come from sowing that way. So, you know, the connection there being, um, we don't realize sometimes how awful sin is and how far reaching its consequences can be that when we sow to it, really, you know, the putrid corpse concept you brought up, man, this is what sin deserves because we don't realize how often we can influence others down that path simply by sowing it in our own life. Well, enough of my soapbox moment. Let's uh, jump back into the notes. And I, I just maybe want to clarify for those who are listening. We've been talking a lot about sowing to the flesh, but um, Galatians 6 also talks about sowing to the Spirit. And maybe you could help break that down for us. What does it mean? Well, when you sow to the Spirit, uh, you've got your mind set on the things of the Spirit. Okay. You're thinking about those things. You're pursuing the things of God. And one of my Favorites would be over in Romans 8 that I think helps expound on that, uh, verses 5 and 6, where Paul would write, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things mm-hmm. of the flesh. Mm-hmm. But those who live according to the Spirit, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Yep. And he goes on to say, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So, he makes it very clear that to live according to the Spirit is that our mind is set on the things of the Spirit. But mindset, that, that makes a whole lot of sense to me. Sowing to the Spirit, it's not this abstract thing, you know, uh, or mystical thing. It seems very practical of, I'm going to focus my thoughts, my energies, my actions on serving God instead of serving myself. Well, we've looked at the law of sameness from verse 7. And the law of time uh, from verse 8. And I'm wondering if uh, maybe we can move on to the next one. What's an additional law of the harvest that you see in this chapter of Galatians 6? Law number three, uh, Jonathan, would be the law of multiplication. The whole idea that we always reap a lot more than we sow. Mm -hmm. And that's true, good or bad, you know. Yeah. And that's found, by the way, in Galatians 6 and 9. It tells us that we will reap a harvest we will reap a harvest, he says in verse 9. Now, when you plant a tomato seed, you don't expect to get one tomato, right? right. You want <laughs> dozens. And one of the things that has always fascinated me is the power of one seed, mm. mm-hmm. you know, and how powerful one seed. I, When my girls were young, I I uh, held up an apple and I said, how many, how many seeds do you think are in this apple? And they guessed, you know, we counted them. And I said, now, how many apples do you think are in this seed? Mm. and then go through the story of uh, Johnny Appleseed and how he planted (laughs) and, you know, that there are millions of apples in one seed because they produce and they produce. And so you think about that. And then when you think about the thought that the word of God teaches us that God's seed is in us. Mm -hmm. Now, who knows what he can create in us and the fruit that will come. Uh, The fact that he uses the word harvest tells me there's a bunch of it. Uh, Yeah. That God wants to, as I heard one speaker say, God wants to send a harvest into your life that's going to blow your mind. <laughs> and uh, 
And, you know, I think Second Corinthians 9 is so powerful on this. Uh, in verse 6 through 8, Paul wrote there, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He goes on to talk about giving in verse 7. You know, give what you decided in your heart and that God loves a cheerful giver. But look at verse 8. And God is able to make, notice the words, all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound to every good work. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. All, 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 yeah. every yeah. Uh, powerful harvest that God wants produced within us and in our lives. Let me ask you a question, maybe about that verse and, and just this concept of the law of multiplication. You know, we're going to reap a lot more than we sow. Um, maybe this is answered by a previous law, the law of time, but uh, I'll go ahead and ask it. Uh, what if I don't see it? You know, what if I've been faithful to serve God my whole life and it just seems like I am scratching out one little piece of fruit at a time or one little seed at a time. And I've been planting and planting and, you know, the tomato plant is supposed to give you more than one tomato, but maybe it's given me half a tomato, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> what, uh, what would you say to someone who is in despair that it seems like their harvest is just pitiful? I think it's a great question. And you're dealing with a question that people are asking. In fact, I've got a good friend right now that is struggling big time because he has a physical problem that just won't get better. And he's prayed about Mm -hmm. it and prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed some more and uh, really shaken his faith. And we've talked about passages like that. We've talked about the concept like that. And we'll get to that in, in, I think it's the final law. And that is that uh, the key is in due season, we will read, uh-huh. but I, I'm going to okay. make you wait on that one for a little bit, but, okay. <laughs> but it is answered in the, in the passage that there is a season and there's also a season, Jonathan, when to the physical eye, to the natural self, nothing seems to be yeah. happening. Uh, I love the story of Job that so mm-hmm. illustrates that here's a man that everything fell apart. He lost it all. He lost his wealth. He lost his children. He lost his health. And he's crying out to God, why, why, why? I don't think there's anything wrong asking God why, by the way. Uh, Jesus even said, my, my God, my God, why? Mm-hmm. Uh, so nothing wrong with that. But he never gave up his faith. He never gave up on God. Mm. And But here was a man that couldn't see it, you know. Yeah. And in answer to your question, he would think, well, where's the fruit? You know, I've lived right. Right. His friends came and said, where's your fruit? (laughs) You must have sinned. But he held on and we saw what uh, we see what God brought about in the end. And I think the the big lesson there is we know something about Job that he did not know. Mm hmm. And mm-hmm. as far as we can determine, he never knew. He never knew there was that conversation between God and Satan, and it was all one big test. So mm-hmm. to answer your question, I think sometimes when we aren't seeing it in the natural, it hasn't happened yet, we have no idea what's going on in the spiritual realm and yeah. uh, what might be at work there. And the key is that we hold on to our faith in God. Well, I got two thoughts on that. And uh, the first one is Second Kings chapter 6. There's a great narrative of um, 
an army surrounding a no prophet idea. and his servant. And that servant just thought, you know, we're outnumbered, we're doomed, there's no hope. And the prophet prayed that his eyes would be opened and, you know, he saw just exactly how powerful God's side was whenever that angelic host was Absolutely. surrounding the army. The other one is a question. I know you've done um, a bit of traveling and uh, how do you help people in countries who maybe don't enjoy some of the economic advantages that we have in America. I, several of our listeners maybe have not traveled abroad, but at, at least are probably familiar with how blessed we are uh, in material goods. And so my question is, how would you help people in other countries whenever you go there and they're kind of comparing themselves to our lifestyle? But then also, how would you uh, encourage them maybe, uh, well, Let's just keep it with that one question. Then, how would how would you encourage people who maybe see from afar the way that somebody else is living? That's uh, completely from their from a materialistic point of view, uh, completely differently than they are. They're, it's almost like they're on a different level. Yeah, that's a, and that's very real with the, some of the places I've been and places you have been. The one thing that, as I think back on the various mission trips that I've gone on, Philippines and Russia and a couple of other places, is I rarely hear that come up. I, I rarely hear from their lips, you know, the comparison. Now I'm making it mm. because when I when I travel in the Philippines and I see people living in a treehouse structure, you know, and I see kids in rags and that type of thing, I'm thinking, I'm so blessed. But yeah. So many of these people, so precious, they're just so happy to see you and so so thrilled to learn about the Word of God, and they come for that reason. But to reverse the question, many times it's how they encourage me rather than me trying to say something to encourage them. And uh, a, a true yeah. story, a, a preacher that works with us in the Philippines, we went to one man's house, and he was expressing to him, you know, I want to come to the study, but things are so hard and I don't have the money to go. And this preacher just started singing, seek ye first the kingdom of God <laughs> with a huge smile. And before long, the man started smiling. Before long, we all joined in. And he did that like three or four times on this trip, you know, that that was his answer. Hmm. Uh, in other words, rely on the promise of God. Yeah. Seek first the kingdom of God, and these things will be added unto you. And he would sing it to them, reminding them that this is God's promise. So that's the long answer. The short answer is, how do I encourage them? I think the best encouragement is just reminding them of God's promises. Uh, Matthew six thirty three and yeah. others. Yeah, that's good. That's great, brother. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for today. It's actually a great place to stop. We've looked at three laws of the harvest so far, and we're going to look at another three next week. So make sure you come on back. In fact, you could subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. It's as simple as clicking a button on whatever app you're using. If it's Apple podcast or if it's SoundCloud or Spotify, click subscribe. That way you will automatically download to your phone or your device that you listen to this on. I'm going to do a couple of things before we leave real quick. Typically, I try to promote things on the website, but I want to mention uh, these two things. 
I'd like to share with you just a little sound clip from Bob and my conversation that was off the cuff. He asked me how he was doing. Whenever I'd have people on the program, a lot of times they are concerned if it's going well or not. And you know what? By and large, every time it always goes great. So I was encouraging Bob, and I was trying to explain to him just how fortunate I feel, how blessed I feel that I get to do this as part of my job. So he asked me how he was doing, and this is the response that I gave to him. And I wanted to share it with you because I'm just so grateful that you help me do this because whenever you listen to it and you leave comments, you subscribe, uh, it's really encouraging to know that it's helpful for others. So take a listen to this response real quick. Oh, man. No, this is great. I mean, I've just been thinking about it lately. Part of my job is getting to talk about the Bible with men who I greatly admire and then just getting to share that conversation with others. How cool of a job is this? I mean, it's amazing. And so I'm, you're doing wonderful. I'm, I'm loving this conversation. It's, it's not, uh, I'm not pretending to be interested in it. I'll tell you that it's, it's a genuinely interesting conversation. And so again, I just want to say thank you to all the listeners out there who are encouraging me. A lot of you are sending me messages and uh, it is helpful whenever I see you at big meetings and, and different things when people say, oh, I listen to the podcast. That really does make a difference. And so I want to challenge you to take it one step for one step farther, not for my sake personally, but for the sake of getting this podcast uh, farther up the charts. Would you please be willing to leave a review on whatever platform you listen to it on? If you listen on SoundCloud or Spotify or Apple Podcast, would you get on there and leave a five-star review the more reviews that the podcast has, the higher it's going to go in the charts, be more likely to be suggested to others. So in a way, you can help me in this ministry to evangelize to the lost, to share it with brethren, etc., who are just casually looking for podcasts, and this is one of the ones that's recommended to them. So please, leave me a five-star review, and I'd be very grateful for the honest feedback that you give. Until next week. This is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well,